Welcome into the fade. We have got the Super Bowl set. I am Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman. This is uh, the fade. And we are going to break down now the AFC and the NFC Championship game. Before we give you an early preview of the Super Bowl, which is 13 days from now. So there's plenty of time to figure out how exactly the Rams going up against the Bengals is going to play out. But I want to start in the AFC Championship game, Furman, because it, to me, was the far more surprising outcome. Not only the result, but the way in which we got there. 21-3, the Bengals were down. Uh, they scored late in the first half and then you had a situation where it looked like the Chiefs were going to go right back down the field at minimum get a field goal. They get nothing. It's 21-10 at the half. 18-point comeback. The Bengals not only win, they win it in overtime. Effectively shut down the Kansas City Chief offense in the second half. How stunning was the way that this one played out? Uh, Mind-boggling. I mean, when you look at the way Kansas City moved the ball early on in that football game, you thought the sky was the limit in terms of how many points that they were going to be able to generate against the Bengals' defense that really had no answers. And it was one play at the end of the first half where maybe the momentum started to shift a little bit. You wonder what the Chiefs were doing in terms of a sense of urgency, not throwing to the end zone, thinking Tyree Kill could get outside a defender and give them a little bit more cushion heading into the break. But 21 to 10 at, at halftime, very similar to the 28 17 lead they had at Cincinnati. But for the second time this season, Kansas City musters a grand total of three points after halftime, whether it's the Bengals' defensive adjustments or the Chiefs just imploding. The body language was the most stunning thing for me. Patrick Mahomes appeared to be playing in a fog. Nobody could make a big play. And even when they intercepted Joe Burrow, you kept going, All right, this is where Kansas City is able to flip the switch. They're going to find another gear and they're going to be able to create a little bit of separation before they punch their ticket to the Super Bowl uh, with yet another AFC Championship victory at home. But that wasn't the case. And I think the Bengals deserve a ton of credit. I mean, Joe Burrow didn't have to do anything magnificent in the passing game to get them over the hump in that contest. But he showed his elusiveness in the pocket, scrambled for first downs, was able to get away from Chris Jones on another pivotal situation. And when you consider the teams that had an 18-point lead or more so far this season in the NFL, I believe the stat I saw, Clay, 115-1 and going into yesterday. So the Chiefs became only the second team to squander a lead of that particular margin, joining the Indianapolis Colts, who did so on Monday Night Football against the Baltimore Ravens earlier in the season. Oh, that's a good one. I forgot about that uh, collapse by the Colts, which, by the way, sorry, Colts fans, would have had you in the playoffs if you'd just won that <laughs> one. Uh, now, that it uh, would have. Now, other side of the equation, uh, I know the line went off at like three and a half and the Rams had to come back from a 17 to 7 deficit. Kyle Shanahan has difficulty closing again. Might be the Incredible. final game that we ever see Jimmy Garoppolo play as a San Francisco 49er quarterback. Uh, what stood out to you about the NFC Championship game? I think the biggest thing was, to your point, to Kyle Shanahan again, in a game of that magnitude in the fourth quarter, had none of the answers. We can go to the Super Bowl against Kansas City, where the 49ers completely bogged down. We can point our fingers at Jimmy Garoppolo in an offensive line that didn't block, but going all the way back to Kyle Shanahan's time as offensive coordinator in Atlanta. I mean, look at how they finished that Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. For whatever reason, he appears to be a deer in headlights when it gets into crunch time, getting away from some of the bread and butter. I mean, Debo Samuel didn't touch the football one time in the final 12-plus minutes or thereabouts in that contest. 
when the game is 17-17 and the Rams have all the momentum, they go three and out. And I think they took 30 seconds off the clock tops. When they got the ball back down 20-17, to I don't think there was anybody, including myself, that believed that the 49ers were going to be able to march in a field goal range because they hadn't shown much of that big play potential over the final 10 to 12 minutes. And it's staggering because you look at all of the things that went wrong for the 49ers. You can point it at Joukowsky Tart dropping an interception that was basically right in his chest where Matthew Stafford arm punted to him. The 15-yard penalty that prolonged you know, the Rams drive that gave him a little bit of momentum early on. Just a confluence of errors for a 49ers team that really didn't have that kind of margin to work around. But the reality of it is, I think Jimmy Garoppolo gets a raw deal on a variety of fronts because it's not just him that led to San Francisco losing to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. It wasn't just Jimmy the reason that they weren't able to punch their ticket to Los Angeles for the second time in, you know, two weeks if they'd have returned to SoFi. But Jimmy, to your point, I mean, the, this organization went up in the draft, traded a lot of draft capital to get Trey Lance, and I think they're going to try and uh, allow him to have every opportunity to win the job in camp. And Jimmy will find himself – you know, whether it's a Denver, Pittsburgh, or somewhere else, uh, I think Garoppolo needs to go to a new landing spot where they'll actually appreciate what he can do. As not a top 10 quarterback in the league, in my opinion, but still definitely top 15 and much better than a lot of options. And maybe even if uh, the salary cap wasn't a constraint, the perfect fit to lead your Tennessee Titans. No, no, I do not want him. He's Ryan Tannehill, part two. Uh, $5, by the way. You bet $5 on either... Uh, the Rams or the Bengals to win, to win outright. You can have a friend take the other side. You get a 56-1 to 1 payout. That's a $5 bet that turns into $280. Get a friend or family member to guarantee you take the other side. $10 turns into $280. Not a bad play there. Does, uh, does FanDuel love that when you're sitting here promoting, just going, hey, you know, get 40 of your friends out there. You guys each take opposite sides and collect the white meat in the middle. I'm not going to fault the hustle here by any stretch of the imagination to take advantage of the promotion. I just wanted to make sure our corporate overlords were okay with what you're encouraging uh, a lot of new user signups to go out there and take advantage of. Berman, do I look like somebody who's ever cared what corporate overlords were telling me? Uh, you know, that's a very good point. But I mean, with the amount of paydays that you're getting from various corporate entities, I figure somewhere along the way, you'll have to toe the line for somebody that cuts you a check. The reason why I get paid is because I'm 100% honest with my audience. And that's the play here. Get somebody to take the other side. You each bet $5. You're guaranteed 280 for the Super Bowl. FanDuel.com slash Clay. All right, so Furman, uh, the line right around three and a half, I believe. Let me check the latest line uh, at FanDuel as we are speaking and breaking down uh, this number. Uh, Super Bowl 56. Oh, it's out to four, according to mine. Now, maybe different depending on which uh, uh, state you're in. But the Rams are out to a four-point favorite over under 48 and a half. It's 13 days away. Any early lean, any early read for you as the Rams will be playing at home for a second straight year. We'll have a home team in the playoffs after, sorry, in the Super Bowl after never having it happen before. So I think the number is extremely fair. Uh, the folks at FanDuel, their look-ahead number here was three and a half. That's actually where they opened it once we knew for sure that it was going to be the Bengals against the Rams. The Rams took a little bit of money driving out to four to your point. And I think it's always interesting. And we'll, of course, talk about this in greater detail. When you look at the Super Bowl, this is the time of year where books actually find themselves rooting for the favorite to win, but not to cover, because typically what will happen is people that like the Rams will lay the points. People that like the Bengals will go say the hell with it. We're not betting them plus the four. We're just going to bet them on the money line, meaning that if the game were to fall one, two, or three for the Los Angeles Rams, 
books would be able to put themselves in a very advantageous position. Uh, but for me, I look at this total. I think we're going to see the total tick down a little bit more than it's already started. So when you're shopping around trying to find a first half number, if you're able to get a 24, that would be what I would encourage folks to do. Uh, as I think that number will move to 23 and a half. We talk all the time about key numbers, 24, one of the most important in the first half that's out there. And when you look at these two coaching staffs, there is a high level of familiarity because Zach Taylor comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. Both of these guys will have pretty good indications of what their counterpart on the other sideline wants to do. And I think we've seen, you know, Sean McVay commit to the ground game the same way that we got a little bit of taste from that in Zach Taylor, even when they found themselves behind the eight ball early against Kansas City, it was Joe Mixon putting together his best performance in six games. So with two quarterbacks making their debut in their first ever Super Bowl, I think we could have a slow and stodgy start. So first half under would be the angle that I would tack 13 days before kickoff. Uh, what else stands out to you about the Super Bowl? Early, early, like we said, 13 days away. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of casual gamblers that step in for the Super Bowl. What's a mistake that you see a lot of people make in the Super Bowl, maybe repetitively year after year? Uh, I think when you're looking at the prop market, you know, kind of figure out exactly what you feel comfortable betting on this football game. And there's so many different ways to attack it. I mean, if you don't have strong convictions about who wins the game, between the Rams and Bengals, or you don't know exactly how this game is going to unfold as far as the total is concerned. I mean, you can identify one to two players where you think that there are mismatches out there on the field, whether it's CJ Uzoma, if he's available dealing with the MCL sprain that kept him from finishing against the Chiefs, matched up against the soft interior of that Rams defense, or trying to figure out if you just want to bet on Odell Beckham Jr. or Jamar Chase. I think one of the things that makes the Super Bowl so much fun, and you know, going back to my time behind the counter at Caesars, is we seemingly had a decision on nearly every snap of the game. Yeah. So there's money changing hands from the coin toss through the opening kickoff, through you know every punt, every penalty, every challenge. It truly makes for a legitimate sweat if you want to go about attacking the game that way. So rather than looking at some of the top line markets, this is the one opportunity you'll have during the season to really drill down, figure out where you think you can find a mismatch, and spend two weeks doing your homework to try and find you know, one weakness as far as you're concerned uh, that odds makers haven't been able to identify, especially for those Bengals and Rams fans that have watched their team every single week throughout the season. What do you think about the value of being at home? I, I think the standard is now the Bengals are not flying in till Thursday. It's not the usual craziness sort of festival of excess because of COVID even for a second straight year. Uh, we'll see how exactly everything breaks down in L.A. I'll be out there all next week. I'm, I'm genuinely curious how that's going to go. Uh, but is there an advantage in your mind, Furman, to being at home and being able to play in the home stadium? We certainly saw the Bucks just take it to uh, the Chiefs last year in the Super Bowl in their home stadium, Tampa Bay. Uh, is that likely to continue? How would you assess it? I think you do have to account a little bit for home field advantage, but I mean, the Rams didn't have home field advantage in the NFC championship. I mean, with the sea of red, yeah, it, it right. almost gave you that vibe of a neutral atmosphere. So maybe you're giving the Rams a half a point max as far as home field advantage is concerned in this spot. I do believe when you're a creature of habit and you can sleep in your own bed for the buildup to the game and kind of go about your normal routines, you're driving the same routes that can pay dividends. But at the same time, there can also be a lot of distractions. You know, for players with families that are dealing with some of that, you know, in their own home city, you can't put all of that stuff on the back burner like the Bengals, who when they jump on that plane the Thursday before the big game, 
will see this as a business trip. And I think for a Rams roster where there are a lot of holdovers who were there a couple of years ago when they came up well short against the Patriots in a game that they looked like they weren't ready for whatsoever, they'll learn from that experience. They'll apply it to this particular outcome here, but you still have a starting quarterback making his Super Bowl debut in Matthew Stafford. You have a starting quarterback making his Super Bowl debut in Joe Burrow. And again, in this game, you can make the legitimate case that Joe Burrow has played on stages of this magnitude during his time at LSU in the college football playoff and the national championship where Matthew Stafford is a learning a little bit as he goes. Uh, but I did find it uh, hysterical when you look at Matthew Stafford, who's been much maligned for some of his playoff shortcomings when he finally ends up with a team that's capable and competent from the coaching standpoint and talent around him. Suddenly Matthew Stafford has more wins in the postseason than the Dallas Cowboys do since 1997. Yeah. How crazy is that? If you're a lions fan, because for most teams, the question is, Hey, what do we have to do to get an elite quarterback? Arguably the lions have had an elite quarterback for the last, whatever it is, 10 or 12 years, and they still couldn't win with him. How sick to your stomach do you have to be if you're a Lions fan waking up today? I mean, you've been sick to your stomach for how many years since they had a playoff win? Were we at 40 or 50 or thereabouts? Uh, one look since 1950-something, I think. That's what it is. It's one. You're right. I forgot. They won they back won in, in like 1991 or something. I think Barry Sanders had one playoff win ever. I mean, let's look at the players that have never realized their full potential that have been transcendent talents. I'm not going to put Matthew Stafford in that bucket. Obviously, we'll see if he can win in two weeks and if he's able to build on his legacy. But Barry Sanders was never able to get them where they needed to go. Calvin Johnson wasn't. It's organizational failures more than anything else. And I'm not sure if it's coaching, if it's the front office. There are so many different areas to point your finger. But to your point, you're, you're exactly right. You know, all of these teams say they're a quarterback away. Well, clearly the Lions were everything else away because Matthew Stafford, given what we've seen so far this postseason, wasn't the weak link. But I do think the Rams and the, everybody else that they've given him as far as weapons, the defense, uh, their ability to get to the opposing quarterback. I mean, there are clearly more difference makers than just one position. Uh, when it comes to getting to the Super Bowl and ultimately winning one of the National Football League. If you had predicted Rams-Bengals before the season started, Furman, I believe I saw it paid out at 500-1. to 1. Now, I didn't win on the AFC team. I did predict that the Rams would be there. I had a Rams-Bills matchup, which honestly didn't feel like it was that far away from potentially being able to Real happen. Real close. What did you predict before the season? Do you remember? Yeah, for me, uh, I took the 49ers coming out of the NFC, and it was the Bills coming out of the AFC. I mean, going yeah. all the way back to Fox Bet Live, we talked about it. I know you made a case for the Rams back then and Matthew Stafford for MVP. I was on the Josh Allen for MVP, thinking the Bills could get over the hump. And you guys know all too well that I've been a big believer in Kyle Shanahan. I thought this 49ers defense had been undersold all year. I thought their weapons were underrated. Now, did I think it was going to take an improbable comeback in week 18 for them to try and get in? Absolutely not. But I will tell you from betting the 49ers like I did in early November at 60 to 1 to win the NFC, I was none too thrilled that they weren't able to close that game out yesterday. No doubt. Uh, question for you. The decision by Kyle Shanahan to punt on fourth and two. Uh, for people out there who were watching, uh, they had the Kyle Juszczyk, I believe, uh, rashly, in my opinion. Sean McVay challenged that as a fumble. Uh, and then you so end up dumb. with, the, they came back out, tried to draw them off sides, and then punted. From a win percentage probability perspective, should the 49ers have gone there? 
I mean, you have to be aggressive. I mean, if this is the kind of game where a Rams team is reeling and you're talking about the strength of your football team being the ability to pick up short yardage, you go into that spot knowing you have three plays to pick up two yards. And I think the 49ers kind of let themselves down there, whether the moment got too big. But Kyle Shanahan came out in his post-game press, press conference and defended the decision. But I found it interesting, and there was actually a tweet about it, so I'll read it, uh, from Nick Wagoner, who covers the San Francisco 49ers. He said, on Sunday, the 49ers punted three times from midfield or closer. They're most such punts in a game ever under Kyle Shanahan. They're the only team in the last three postseasons to have three such punts in a game per ESPN stats and info. So when you're talking about winning big games uh, against teams that you know are a little bit better, a little bit more talented, you have to have that uber-aggressive mentality. And I think for stretches yesterday, the 49ers left a lot of opportunity out there in a game where they could have gone in, taken full advantage, because while we want to talk about the Rams and how well they played, this is still a Rams offense that had seven points going into the fourth quarter. And more often than not, you're going to win football games like that. It's part of the reason that the Rams had the biggest comeback in NFC Championship game history facing a 10-point deficit going into the fourth. All right. I know we're talking about the uh, Super Bowl and the NFC and the AFC Championship games, which almost everybody watched. But I also was paying attention to the U.S. going north of the border and losing to Canada. Before these last couple of U.S. men's soccer games, Furman, we were talking about how comfortable we should be that the U.S. was going to advance to the World Cup. Game on Wednesday in Minnesota, outdoors, I believe, against Honduras. We're trying to freeze the Hondurans to death, it appears. Uh, How do you break this down, and where is the U.S. right now in terms of being able to make the World Cup? I mean, this is turnabout is fair play. I mean, for years, we had to go down to San Pedro Sula and play in brutal conditions in the heat of the day, dealing with the humidity uh, in pitches and in stadiums that probably weren't conducive for you know, highbrow high school programs around the country. So let's see if the elements can work in our favor. They clearly didn't. The Canadians were definitely prepared for the single-digit temperatures in Hamilton over the weekend. But suddenly you look at Team USA, and when we talked about this, we said it was imperative they got the full three points against San El Salvador, which they did in a game that was a lot closer, in my opinion, than that 1-0 scoreline indicated. I think, again, in Honduras, playing in the elements, you have to go out there and get three points. Because when you look at the final remaining games that they'll have coming up, you're talking about a trip to Mexico to play in Stadio Azteca, which is going to be massive. You're going down to San Jose, Costa Rica to play uh, you know, a Tico side that we haven't exactly fared all that well with in the past, despite them being down and having an aging roster. And you get a Panamanian team, which I don't think the game has been announced where they'll play Panama in the States, which won't be easy either. And the way CONCACAF qualifying works for those folks that aren't you know, diehard soccer fans who are just getting exposed to it for the first time. There are eight teams in what's called the octagonal. You play each team home and away for a total of 14 games. The teams that finish in the top three spots secure automatic passage into the World Cup. If you finish in the fourth spot, it puts you in for what they call an international qualifier. Now, typically the team that comes from CONCACAF uh, does fairly well in that matchup because you're talking about playing a team, I think, either from Asia or the Oceanic region. So it's not a death sentence, but you obviously want to finish in the top three and not have to worry about a home and home, you know, sometime later this summer. But you look at Canada, who's now put a stranglehold over the group with 22 points, I think. Uh, Team USA with 18 and Mexico with 18. But you have some other, you know, nations that are breathing right down your throat. So 
The road got a little bit more difficult, but this is where you wanted to be figuring that if you secure six points in your two remaining home matches and you're able to get, let's call it one result between Costa Rica and Mexico, it should definitely be enough. But the area where I took umbrage was Greg Berhalter, uh, Team USA's manager, defending the performance against Canada, saying he thought that they dominated for stretches. The Canadians were more than happy to seed possession. They scored in the seventh minute. They kind of sat back and they dared Team USA to attack them. They countered late before they got the insurance goal. I didn't see dominance out there by any stretch of the imagination. And unfortunately, it's hard to have that level of confidence in the red, white, and blue, knowing that we found a way to lose to Trinidad and Tobago in the last cycle. Uh, but I think this team will get it together. They'll take care of business against Honduras, and then we'll figure out a path to try and get in uh, so we don't have to sweat out that international qualifier. So you'll be able to watch Team USA when you're sitting in your four seasons or wherever Fox will put you up in Cutter in early November. Uh, all right, Furman, we will talk to you. When are we going to talk to you again? Maybe when do you want to talk again? I mean, you want to do next week? I don't know what your busy schedule is like in L.A. when you're out there hobnobbing and uh, you leave your dungeon there in your attic office in Nashville. And I obviously can't set foot on the Fox lot, I don't think. I think I'm persona non grata for Fox Sports. So we're going to have to find remote setup for you. All right, we'll figure all this out. But uh, Todd Furman, talk to you again soon. One more NFL game to go. Uh, this has been the fade. Get your bets in 56-1. to Fanduel.com slash Clay is the play. See you guys soon.